podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Zero Pucks Given, the UK ice hockey podcast. Happy New Year. I hope you had a lovely Christmas and a lovely New Year as well. And I hope you had some Hockey Art Co stuff under the tree. We are still in partnership with Mike and the Hockey Art Co. So the listeners to Zero Pucks Given get a 10% discount on everything site-wide at hockeyartclothing.co.uk. So if you've got some Christmas money, why don't you have a little look on that website and see what you can get for yourself. Right then, this is episode 67. We are back for 2024 and we are kicking off with a little episode that we did tease towards the end of last year. Uh, After the England Ice Hockey had their rebrand, just before it was made public, Daniel Smith, who's the board member who kind of spearheaded that rebrand, he contacted a lot of the independent media outlets. Um, We were so glad to be considered as one of those that were worthy of of sort of talking about it um, and we got something in the books. So now that Daniel's getting, getting his voice out there, letting people know what this rebrand is about and how it's all going to be going to be working from, from now on in, we thought, you know what, we have to get it on and we have to let people know what's going on in our sport. So please enjoy. There's a, it's a little bit of a long one, but it's definitely worth listening to because it's all explained to you here. So we can know exactly what's going to be going on with our game from here on out. So, from England Ice Hockey, please welcome Daniel Smith. Zero Pucks Given in partnership with the Hockey Art Co. Absolutely honoured to welcome uh, one of the board members of now England Ice Hockey, Daniel Smith. How are you doing this evening, fella? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. hope you've had a good Christmas break. I have indeed. Uh, Welcome along to... Zero Pucks Given. Thoroughly honoured to have you join me the, this evening. Now, obviously, you've already appeared on Banners on the Wall with our good friend Anthony Russell. Um, you got away with calling him Ant at the end as well. He doesn't normally get people let people get away with that. But, uh, so I'll endeavour to not make you repeat yourself too much, as we do have different audiences, but we still want to hear your the blurb, as it were, I suppose, on the rebrand. So for starters, are you well? Have you had a good Christmas break? Yeah, I've had a good Christmas break. You know, it's nice to spend some time with the family um get some downtime obviously you know we did the rebrand just before the break itself so it's kind of been good to kind of see it out there in the public domain during this period um and I think we're starting to see uh, see a bit of traction with it yeah so we've had the new logo new name uh new general manager of coaching who we had on on ZPG a couple of weeks ago Pete Wynn uh fantastic guy that was a really interesting chat um tell us how this rebrand came about um and what else is new in the organisation? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I kind of start off with my sort of background in the sport at large. Yeah. You know, I, I started playing, I think it was in 1994, um, is when I kind of first took to the ice. Um, I played the sport, well, I played on the Mega Drive at the time. Um, someone knocked at the door selling tickets for the Bracknell Bumblebees. Uh, there's raffle tickets, and my dad got talking to them. Um, next thing you know, I'm down Bracknell Ice Rink doing stick and puck. Next thing you know, I'm, you know, going ice skating and like a public skate. 
And then straight after that, I'm, uh, you know, I'm training with the buzzers. Door to door sales. That's old school, isn't it? Yeah, door to door sales. But it worked. <laughs> it, it worked well. And, um, you know, I played for best part of 17 years, um, was part of the association um, throughout that whole entire period. Um, absolutely love the sport. Um, kind of made my progress through the ranks of Bracknell. Um, and then I think it was last year, 16s, I, um, I moved across to Snell, where I had a good four seasons with them. Played with some great players. Um, played for the Jets uh, my final year. A few made a few appearances, which is really nice. Um, and then from there, I moved up to Blackburn. Um, played up there for three years while I was at uni, and then came back down and played a couple seasons with uh, the Swindon Wildcats in the ENL, um, which was great fun. Again, really good team. Probably one of probably one of the best teams I played with actually. Uh, good spirit, good everything. And, you know, we won a few bits as well. And that was always nice. And, you know, during, um, I'd say it was kind of during my senior kind of career, if you will, I started to become more aware of the role of sports governing bodies. You know, in, in my day job, I've spent the last 16 years working in governing bodies, uh, working in world sailing, the IIHF equivalent. Uh, currently working for Motorsport UK, so the governing body for motorsport. I've done some stuff for for England Boxing as well. Um, I've worked in all all manner of sports um, during my career, and I've always found that you can make change when you're within an organisation. If you want to influence, if you want to dictate the direction the sport's going to take, then when you're inside the governing body, you can do it. You've obviously got to take people with you on that journey. Um, so for years, I kind of had my eyes, you know, when in, I think I stopped playing, I think it was about 2012, 20, 2013, because I started to focus on my career more. And during that period, I followed the sport quite closely. Um, I followed the governance of the sport. I obviously followed the, um, potential merger, um, between the home nations, um, governing bodies and, and ice hockey UK with great interest. Um, obviously that, that didn't go through, but then I saw that there was an advertisement for, um, independent non-executive director at the then EIHA. So I put myself forward and it was always kind of my proposal to say, you know, we've got to rebrand, we've got to do something because when you look at ice hockey in comparison to other sports, we, we're behind, you know, we're, we're behind in terms of, you know, the way we market ourselves, we're behind in the way that we bring new people into the sport. Um, we're behind in our kind of digital presence as well. Um, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So, you know, during the, it's coming up to three years since I'm being part of the board. And I'd say this, this project itself, the rebrand, the strategy, the new website, it, it's not a work of a moment. It's not something that's happened overnight. It's something that's probably best part of 18 to 24 months in the making. Various members have been part of that board during that period who have kind of been along the journey. Um, and we spent a lot of time workshopping this, trying to figure out, you know, what what is the future direction? What is the direction of travel we need to take? Um, and it, the the new board that we have at the moment, um, you know, there's, there's some really good, serious leaders in there. And we kind of came to a point where what you see in the public domain domain now is is what we all agreed on and it's the the new direction of travel that we're going to take in order to 
seek to professionalize and modernize who we are as an association. Um, when you look at the way of the, when you look at the new brand, it's fresh, it's dynamic, um, it's agile. When you look at the website, you know, is there's a load of scope for development. Um, and when you look at the strategy, I mean, that sets us up through to 2032. So it's a really kind of good concrete plan with milestones, with uh, things that we're going to be um, assessed on. So the members can mark our homework um, effectively and we can really kind of showcase the programs and initiatives that we're implementing from this strategy. They're working because we're starting to track the data. We're start starting to understand how we're performing. So ultimately, we're, we're held accountable to uh, to the membership. Mm. Mm. And I mean, as, as you say, I, I do actually, I happen to quite like the logo, actually. I like the little sort of monographic almost uh, of, of the hockey player. Um, I understand you did explain with, with Anthony Russell about the the font and it sort of symbolised, the O symbolises the park at centre ice. Um, I'm not overly keen on that bit, but the actual the colour and the logo and everything, the little animation, yeah. I, it, I do I do quite like. I can see where that has modernised what was already there. And and I can agree with you entirely that that is what it was required. I think timing-wise, as you said there, I think that's important for a lot of people to realise that that's been in motion for 24 to 18 months because of the recent uh, problems that the former EIHA had with obviously the resignation of Barry Archer under suspicion of, of stuff that's being investigated, uh, the DOPS issues that were quite rife, in, particularly in the Britain division, which we cover here at ZPG. Um, I think a lot of people seemed, seemed to think it was a um, almost like a reactionary change. And it was a um, sort of yeah, quick, we need to do something to sort of appease everybody. But I think, yeah, it's really important to hear that it was it was long in the planning and it was and it was definitely needed because there's a lot of fans in this sport. I mean, you'll, you'll know from being involved in the sports you're in, when they're not your football or your cricket or your, your rugby, so your top three mainstream sports in this country, the, the fan base is incredibly fanatic and particularly with statistics. And they want to know everything about what went on in the games, especially if they couldn't make it. And that was another problem that the EIHA was having with uh, Sporto, I believe it was, after fixtures live had gone down. Yeah. Um, but that's something that's in the plan, isn't it, to to be run from England Ice Hockey? Yeah, so fixtures live, um, when, when I came into the board, um, it became apparent that, you know, fixtures live was, was on the way out. Um, they were turning the system off. Um, we were their last client. Um, that was something that, that we inherited. So we managed to have another year with Fixtures Live um, to ex extend that. And during that period, um, the board took a decision to use Spordle. Um, I'm sure you've looked into Spordle. It's used over in uh, in Canada. Uh, it's quite a well-known um, well system. Um, and... You know, I'm not kind of too in tune with some of the kind of technical requirements, but there, there kind of comes a point where, you know, you're almost, you've kind of got to cut your losses um, because it's not it's not working the way in which you you wished it to work because it was rushed because, you know, we were, we were 12 or so months behind where we wanted to be. Um, so the office put a proposal together and we're now using uh, game day which is, um, you know, it's a, it's a sport management system that's used um, by other sports as well. 
um, these sort of sports management systems, they're quite uh, prevalent in, in all sorts of sporting associations. Um, you know, if you have a look on game day, you, you'll you'll see all of their clients. There's other alternatives, you know, in, in my day job, we're, we're starting to use Sport 80. Um, and they're all kind of cut from the same cloth. And they're all really, really good products, if you will. Um, now, obviously, for years, ice hockey used fixtures live, which had been customized to a point where it worked really well for us as a sport. Um, there are kind of better solutions out there for the sport. They could be uh, game, uh, not game day. They could be genius sports, for example, which I know that the NHL use and so forth. But then you're looking at mega, mega money, mega money for those yeah. sorts of products. Um, so we're we're using game day, which is a very cost effective solution. Um, it's been kind of it's still there's still elements that are being worked on in the back end, um, and effectively it's it's set up. And what we need now is we just need the clubs to embrace it. We need the clubs to, you know, input the data. So then when you're on the website, you'll be able to see that rich data, that insight that the fans crave and the fans desire. Um, at the moment, game day is effectively embedded in the website through an iframe. But one of the development, um, one of the items we have in the pipeline for development is to tap into the API. So we actually have, you know, really kind of customized displays of the data um, on EnglandIceHockey.com. So it's more kind of user-friendly and it's kind of what people would expect to see um, for ice hockey um, in general, you know, some of the bigger leagues. Um, and it's, it's, it's taking a little bit of time, but I think it's coming there. And I think once people start to embrace it and use it, um, then it will be, you know, the place to go. Mm. And straight away, you know, now now we've got the new website, we've plugged it into Google Analytics, we can see that everybody is going to the league tables because that's what people want to see. Yeah, yeah. And, and for the time that that was down, a massive shout out to Joe Scutts at NIHL Stats, who does an incredible job kind of keeping that all up to date. Um, but from yourself, I'm not entirely sure where this comes from, since so where the question comes from. A good idea to reach out to the established independent media media outlets within ice hockey. Was that a part of the rebrand, you think, to to almost, because you, you said you wanted to do this, you thought the easier way to do the rebrand would be to get out and speak to the, as I said, already established independent medias to get it out to the fans. Was that a, a good idea from your point of view to get that out? Well, uh, my in my day job, I'm director of marketing and communications. Um, so, you know, I, I know the importance of embracing um, the community that are out there. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, let, I don't think there's been kind of too much coming from the board over the last couple of years that's, you know, there, there have been criticisms out there. Um, and now we kind of have something, we have a clear direction of travel. I think it's important that we're chatting to people like yourselves um, you know, obviously you saw me and Anthony the other week. Um, I had a chat with uh, with Nikki Watt from 4,000 and Counting on the phone um, the other day, day um, trying to get on with uh, Pucking Mad as well. Um, I think it's good to kind of chat to, uh, to these independent media uh, within the sport because you do have good fan bases. Um, and I think it's, it, you know, I remember the years of, um, hockey news and uh, power play and so forth 
you know, we're everything's online and everything's played out in social media nowadays mm. within this sport. So that's where people are. And I, I think it's important to to speak to people and kind of showcase what we're doing and and have a chat. And, you know, if, if the media like what we're doing, brilliant. If they want to, you know, hold our feet to the fire for something, then we'll have a talk about it. Was that something that you think was another part of the of the association that desperately needed modernising was the use of social media? In in two ways, yeah. I mean, in the first way is what we're doing now. It's it's talking. Um, you know, social media is is a two way conversation, um, and you know, if you put something out, you have to expect to get something back. So that's why you know we're keen to kind of speak to people and so forth. But then also on our channels as well, there's there's never really been a kind of clear media strategy or a kind of clear direction. You know, we, we kind of, we've done things and hope they stick. Um, but actually one of the kind of work streams that's kind of fallen out of this strategy is to build out a dedicated social media strategy, a dedicated media strategy. Um, and I spent a day um, just before Christmas with... With the head of ops from the uh, from England Ice Hockey, and we've now thrashed out a plan as to you know what what we're going to do to sort of bring bring the sport to life on our channels. You know, there's a good little audience there, um, and there's a lot of good content out there. And you know, I think I think we need to do more. I think we need to showcase um, the sport because when people are getting into the sport, the first place you look is the association is is the governing body it's their social media channels it's their website and if what you see isn't high quality um and looking good sounding good um feeling good then why should you engage with that if you're looking to get into a sport when you go on british swimming for example and you see something that's well polished and easy to use mm. so 100 like it, it's it's so important that you know we're we're obviously speaking to our kind of our fans on our owned channels um, but then also going out to some of those earned media channels, um, such as yourselves and, and a few of the other guys out there. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Yeah, I said, I'd, I'd love to to hear you sitting down with Nicky White. Actually, I think that'd be an incredible conversation. Obviously, Nicky's got his, his a great style that's that's very different to most of us. Um, I've been Michael, I've been chasing him. Well. I've been chasing him. Um, I I would love to go on because you you know I I played against Nicky in the juniors. Um, like I said, we had a chat on the phone for half an hour the other day. Um, I'd be delighted to go on and have a chat with him. Yeah, he's a good guy, and they they do have probably the biggest fan base of of the sort of the media accounts in in UK hockey. So that would be a great one to sort of get it all out there. Um, I don't expect you to be able to give me sort of exact numbers, but how is England ice hockey sitting financially now? And did the rebrand come in on budget? Oh, so talking about the rebrand, I mean, I won't kind of dive into to some of the specific numbers, but um, the website is going to end up over the next two years or end up cost neutral, um, which I'm dead chuffed about. It's mm. just because of the deal we got with the provider. It worked out really well. Um, the The actual work for the rebrand and the strategy itself was um, I spent a lot of my time do, doing, um, doing the rebrand, doing the... Um, the branding elements. We obviously used a freelance designer as opposed to a um, as opposed to an agency. Um, so therein, you're saving a significant amount because you're not restricted to agency fees. 
Mm. Um, it will all be kind of documented in, in our accounts as well. So it'll be out there to see. And price wise, I think we've, I'm very, very happy and I'm comfortable um, knowing that we've spent members' money um, in the right way and in the right fashion. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, I've been part of governing bodies, membership governing bodies from World Sailing Motorsport UK. And I always kind of think, you know, can I look a member in the eyes and tell them honestly that this is money well spent? Everything to do with this project, 100%, I can look them in the eyes and say it's money well spent because it's what we've needed um, and it's what, you know, it's it's what re- what's required for the association. Um, sorry. Me. Now, will that, will that be part of, obviously, moving forward, as you said, that you'll, you, you will have now, the members will technically be checking your homework so that you can provide data and provide sort of examples of how you're performing will financially be provided as well to your members so they can see exactly what's being spent where. Yeah, the the finances have always been provided as part of the um, of the AGM, um, and it's also included in companies' house as well. So it's it's well it's documented. There for everyone, isn't it? It's it's there for everyone. I mean, you just type in the English Ice Hockey Association Companies House, and you know you can have a look through the accounts, and, and there will be. But I think it's it's the way that we report report everything. When I joined the association, one of the things that really struck out to me was um, the work that um, Liz and Val were doing with the registrations. And they've got data going back to the mid-90s, total number of registrations for all age groups. And, you know, I don't know beyond um, Liz and Val, maybe a few others, I don't know if that had seen the light of day anywhere else, but that is incredibly rich for us as a sport because it that's effectively how we're performing um and that for me needs to be documented you know when when you look in the um in the strategy itself um and you take a look on the um <clears throat> on the back page oh sorry the um the second to last page where you see the measures of success you know we're 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 saying we're going to report on the junior senior rec power players we'll say we're going to report on the number of players that have come through the system and gone into the GB program. Um, we also take a look at the managers and off-ice staff and then also the number of clubs. So what we'll do over the next few years is we'll start to build a data house where everything's stored. And when we report to the membership with the um, with the annual report each year, you know, well, this is where we're at last year. This is where we're at this year. We mm. see declines in certain areas. Then we know why. Um, I mean, there, there was a decline um for COVID, during covid where people dropped off but you know we were talking about boxing beforehand and my kind of role there you know during covid loads of people dropped out mm. um motorsport as well people dropped out after covid and it's incredibly challenging for people to actually bring their community members back one of the positive things that ice hockey's done is that it's actually coming to a point where it's where it was at before covid um, and this is something that we actually need to be celebrating and yeah. promoting because we're doing okay. We're doing all right as a sport in comparison to others, but we just need to shout about it a bit more. Yeah, it's a, a long question warning. So to sort of like, so they could listen to all parts of it. <clears throat> as you mentioned in a, a previous interview, they're talking about the registration records. The records they're proving is over 10,000 people 
play in this sport in this country, which is phenomenal. Um, whether in England and Wales, obviously that's encompassed into England ice hockey. Um, so there's a good foundation for the sport to build. Now, the sports that hockey are getting closer to and the ones that they're sort of out and around, is there anything that we can learn from them to progress in both ways? Can we learn from them to say that's a good thing to do or learn from them to say, no, that's not such a good thing to do to help us grow? Because, I mean, as we said earlier, we're looking at football, cricket, rugby. Where is ice hockey? Good question. Um, it's a really good question. Again, it kind of depends on your parameters for, for success. Um, if you look at it on social media, you can look at it in number of clubs, you can look at it in number of members and number of participants. Um, I would say the way in which you need to look at it is probably the number of players, number of uh, managers, coaches, um, number of volunteers at large. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have data from other sports um, to kind of give a you know something of a of a detailed answer, but the sports that that I'm aware of, um, I, I'd say we're probably down a bit um, in comparison because it's not like football where you can pick up a ball and go play with your mates. It's not like basketball where you know it's it's quick and easy and it's accessible. Ice hockey is reliant on a venue. Um, it's reliant on equipment that is reasonably expensive. Um, it's reliant on time commitment from a lot of people as well. Um, but those, once you're in it, you're all in. You know, you're 100% committed to it. You're there every every weekend. Um, you know, every, every well, not every evening, but you know, an evening you're there or the morning or 2, 3 a.m., whenever it is you're training. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's probably one of the barriers to participation um, for the sport in this country. Um, I think the only kind of way you're ever going to get around that is just increased pads. Um, yeah, you know, well, I mean, that kind of leads into my next question of, of, you know, is that something feasible? Do we require more funding from Sport England or from somewhere even higher than that, perhaps in national lottery influence to create more, if not actual playing arenas, maybe just sort of practice rinks like the Ozone in Bracknell, which is, has been a fantastic facility. Yeah, when when we were creating the strategy, I mean, one of the things that we were kind of talking about is you've obviously got these pop-up rinks around Christmas. Um, you know, what, what could you do with those? You know, what could you do with that equipment when they're not being used in Covent Garden or, or wherever or you know, for, for general skating and so forth, you know, is there an opportunity there just to get people people playing? Um, in terms of, you know, arenas, obviously ice hockey isn't the only sport that, that is using yes, um, using the rink. So you owners have to look at it in, in a business sense as well. Um, it has to be, you know, you have to have the right market. Uh, you have to have the amount, right number of people that are going to pass through the uh, pass through the doors. Um, I think what what Danny and Kevin Fong have done at um, done at Ozone is is brilliant, and it's what that is going to that would be the difference to grow in the game in the UK. But I think that will not only help grow the game, but I think it will increase the quality of play in this country as well, because yeah. we've we've got the players, we've got the clubs we're i think believe we're on a par in terms of playing numbers to 
to the likes of Denmark, um, you know, we've got the fan base. Something is missing that's kind of taking us up to being a, a sturdy Pool A nation, being a nation that's performing at 20s, 18s on the global stage. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, if you're using ozone that's kind of small-sided fast-paced focus on the technical aspects focus on on your game as an individual um that's something that i think will kind of help grow the level of play in the uk um to increase numbers of numbers of participants i think that's where you'd need to get more you know larger pads um up and down the uk but that's Mm. obviously like i mentioned that's a business case for for someone out there. Yeah, yeah, and um, possibly not for the the large operator in the UK that's also having their fair share of problems at the moment. But we're like, that's an entirely different subject. So uh, as the association moves forward, then uh, and it would appear that the national league seems to be looking to to leave the association at some point and perhaps sort of link up with the elite league or or, or even go on their own. Um, is that something that the IH is prepared for? Is it something they agree with, disagree with, would like to keep them because it's um, one of the sort of the bugbears, I think, of the sport that the player pathway doesn't seem to be there to go from a, a local academy to an elite league side because it's kind of all disjointed once you get past national. So is, do you think that's like the, the link up between the two Sheffield clubs, I thought was a great thing for the game to get that pathway there. So is that something that the IH is prepared for should it come around? Um, well, the, the... The National League isn't kind of, as a board member, that doesn't sit within my sort of portfolio, if you will. So I'm not kind of in tune with some of the the details of the conversations uh, that go on day to day. You know, when I was formulating the strategy, I had a really good chat with Steve now, just consulting with him, kind of getting his thoughts on everything that's going on. Um, so, you know, we're personally, I've kind of got a light touch um, to it, but my opinion is the National League has never really been properly marketed. Um, it doesn't really have a social media presence. It doesn't really have a strong website presence. And now that we've got a new website, I feel as if the National League has now has a greater presence on our site. Um, it just, like I mentioned earlier on, it needs the clubs to kind of embrace game day and add all the data so we can start diving into it um but i think that will kind of go a long way to kind of showcase um the league at large and to promote the players that uh, that are in the teams and promote the teams as well um but then in addition to that as i mentioned earlier on one of the things that um i was doing a couple weeks ago is focusing on that media strategy um the league needs its own dedicated channels it Mm. needs its own dedicated Facebook, Instagram. I know there's a couple of unofficial ones out there, but it needs it needs a go-to place like the uh, like the Elite League has. Um, and that, I think, will start to elevate it to a level. Um, in terms of uh, kind of some of the tie-ins and some of the sort of pathways, yeah, what, what Sheffield did is a, is a good move because it kind of provides that clear and concise pathway. Um, and I think, yeah, Work kind of needs to be done on that. But as I mentioned, I'm not in tune on the day-to-day to kind of give a really kind of detailed um, analysis and answer on that one. No, of course, that's understandable. Because it's 
obviously, if, if the the national league was to sort of the state as it is, I mean, if we were to put this into sort of football terms, elite league aside, as they're on their own, you've got your national league, which would be your sort of top echelon, and then your ones and twos below. Um, there with the two ways, two way contracts between the players, it seems to be quite a good a good flow of lads playing and and girls playing up and down the the divisions to get more experience. Um, but as you go on marketing it, uh, a lot of the, I think, in fact, all the National League teams stream their home games online for, for fee. Um, does England Ice Hockey have any involvement in that? Or is it all independent? And is it something they could look for for all of the leagues to come under one umbrella? Yeah, it, it, it's all run by the teams. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, this, this is one of the things that when I first joined, it's like, right, there's some work to do there. Um, because it's not run in a traditional broadcasting sense. Mm. You know, let, let's take the Premier League, for example. The Premier League are the ones that own the media rights. Um, so they can go off, they can sell it to Sky for billions, they can sell it around the world for, for more billions, um, and then that money cascades down to the clubs. Um, and that's a really good model, and it works. With the national well with the with nihl the teams own the rights to their own material so they can do with it whatever they want so in turn there is zero consistency in the quality there's zero consistency in the product um where it's streamed um so there's no kind of single home if i was the marketing director of of the league the thing that I would seek to do almost immediately was to enable the league to take the rights to every single game um, and be the one that's responsible for effectively selling the product um, to the fan base, utilizing a single platform. Um, And then your revenue share would be based on, okay, well, you got, you've, let's say you've earned a million. Let's call it that as a nice round number then that's where you cascade it down to the clubs. Um, I think for the league to be, I I think that's possible. Um, And I would love to see it go that way. But I think it's a successful model for all of the teams that do it. And I don't know if they would be willing to change. Um, But, you know, like I said, Mm. providing, providing their share didn't go down. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that they be, might well be willing as the, the most sort of question that's asked all the time when a team streaming a game is, is it any good? Is, and, it, and, if it, and if it was quality controlled from above so that you knew that every stream was the same level of quality, the audio was right, the you know, it didn't buffer and have all that sort of stuff, I think it would be a lot more successful product. Um, it's something I'm trying to sort of bring in within the NIHL1 South because there's only one team, I think, that streams their games, and that's Milton Keynes, because it's all set up there, because the Lightning do it. But the, um, yeah, I think it's something to be done for all over, because it's not for the home fans. The home fans will always pack their rink for their team. It's for the for the away fans that either can't get a ticket or can't make a, a three-hour journey on a Sunday evening. Yeah, um, I, I know what you mean. I, I mean, another, another case study is um, with the... Football League Conference, uh, the mm. Conference League. Um, obviously, you know, when Wrexham were playing, they they couldn't stream any of their games. No. Um, and they were huge over in the US because of the because of the model. Um, but it, it, it all comes down to the model. It's it's technically possible. 
it would just need every team to kind of buy into it um, and drive it forward. Um, and yeah, who knows? It could be something that happens in the future. Mm, uh, definitely a sort of a shift in that modern direction. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, are there any specific plans? I, I have read through the um, the strategy, but um, I'm not going to sort of quote it word for word because your wording of it is, is much better than mine would be. Um, are there any specific plans in place to continue to grow as part of the sport that's growing incredibly aggressively, which is the women's game? Because is there a different way of targeting women to come and play? Um, yeah, I think that the women's game has really grown over the last few years and the general manager, uh, Faye Andrews, has done a tremendous job um, kind of really getting that to a, to a really, really good place. I think when you talk about or when we talk about promotion of the sport at large and trying to get more people involved and included, girls are obviously included in that. Mm. We're not just talking solely about boys. No. Um, and the pathway for the for the girls to get into the game has obviously improved. Um, you know, back when I was playing, you had the women's league. Um, I think we had we had girls playing with us all the way. Through, through 16s and one or two playing in 19s. Um, and, you know, it's, it wasn't necessarily the, the right way to go about it because there wasn't, the, there wasn't the demand. But now there is the demand. So if we can, you know, continue promoting the sport to girls, promoting the sport, having good league structure, having good, um, good procedures and processes in place that, that encourage them to pick up a stick, head out onto the ice, then, yeah, that's certainly something that we'd love to do. Yeah, and as you said, yeah, Faye doing a, doing a fantastic job. She was a great guest on here earlier this year as well, talking about the women's game. Um, so along along with the rebrand, and again, I know this isn't your, your sort of area of expertise, so I know I'm not going to get anything too concrete out of you. Um, I think we can't let this go by without talking about the DOPS. Uh, and there was a lot of stuff that kind of went up and down, um, Nicky Watts, we spoke about earlier, did a couple of episodes with Shane Moore, the Oxford GM, regarding a, an issue they had with a particular player. Is that process going to to change or will it just be managed more closely? Um, well, obviously, I think it was Mike Maidens resigned from the post and we'll be looking to recruit for someone new in that role. Um, fan voices and opinions and player voices and opinions, coaches' voices and opinions, I think they matter. Um, and you also see this in the football Premier League as well, with all the VAR decisions and so forth. It's one of those that I think it's incredibly challenging to get right because everybody has an opinion, um, but it's one that we certainly need to take a close look at and get someone in post to really understands the nuances of the sport. You know, sometimes a player doesn't intentionally hit someone in the head or or may also forth because there's a, a set of circumstances that is beyond that player's control. They might have had their skate clipped, might have had something clipped that kind of just changes the, um, the trajectory of their body ever so slightly. Um, so it's one of those where we kind of really need someone super experienced right at the top um, with knowledge of the sport at large, kind of drive it forward and get a process in place that is fair for the players, 
um, and fair for the teams. Um, so everybody knows where they stand with proper consistency throughout. Mm. I, I think that the C word there, that's all anybody ever wants from it is consistency. You want to see the same punishments given for the right right infringements across the board. Um, yeah. Yeah, see. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Like I say, I appreciate you giving me any answer at all because I know it's not your um, your sort of real area. But that's um yeah, no, that's that's great. That's it. And it's something I think that needs to be, as you say, looked at. Um now obviously we've got, as you say, it was Mike Maiden, she's looking for someone else for DOPS. Um, we've got Martin Peters on the, the sort of the player coaching pathway. Peter Wynn is on the general manager pathway. Flay Andrews, as we said, on the women's pathway as well. Um, is is there someone that will be sort of leading the modernisation thing? Will that be you? I'd say it's the responsibility of the board at large. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the strategy itself is agreed by the board with input from absolutely everyone. You know, the, the version that you see here is not the first version. Um, the first version of it was on a, a ton of post-it notes on a whiteboard in Sheffield. Um, and, you know, when you look at what was put down there, um, some some made the cut, some stuff didn't make the cut. It was just kind of very sort of high level, how do we see the sport in 10 years' time? You know, let's let's think big. Um, but then we kind of tapered it down to think, okay. Short-term goals. Short-term goals. You know, we know we're not going to get 50 new rinks in the UK in, in 10 years' time. Uh, we know that we're not going to get 10,000 new players. You know, you've got to kind of be realistic. Um, and what we kind of came to is is what you see, is what you see now. Um, I think it's quite clear um, in terms of what we say we're going to do. Um, I think it's quite clear in terms of what we're going to measure and how we're going to track it. Um, and in terms of what happens next, it's the responsibility of the board at large to set that direction of travel. Um, obviously, each board member has their kind of own um, areas of responsibility, but we all have collective input into um, into their areas through uh, through our regular meetings and through discussion. So what we'd effectively do is almost each year take a look at, okay, this is what the strategy is saying. What are our priorities for, for this next year? You know, what, what do we need to focus on? Um, you know, one of the things in the strategy was a media strategy um, that we've now built out and we've now kind of, I'll put that to the board for the next session. So that's something that's kind of sitting with me. Um, when you have a look, there's other things such as, um, you know, new articles. Again, that would be something that will go through the board. Um, improvement of safeguarding policies and procedures. Again, something that will go through the board. But all of these areas will have their respective general managers and their respective volunteers within um, that will provide their, their input so, so we, you know, so we get it right. Um, I think the thing that we kind of really need to focus on the short in the short term is, you know, Getting the getting the experts up and running and get get them flowing, get them rocking, getting them enabling them to be able to do what they do best. Um, I mean, we've spoken about fair a couple of times, you know, whether that's kind of 
arming Faye with X, Y, and Z to enable her to grow grow the women's game. Obviously, Pete win as well, and so forth. You know, we kind of really need to kind of figure out how can we get these general managers, the guys and girls who are experts in their respective areas, to grow the game in alignment with the strategy. Mm. And that's something the board are kind of responsible is responsible for as a collective. Mm. Um, and again, I'll, I'll lift the curtain slightly. This is going to be going out on New Year's Day. Um, and New Year's Day is, is a new rule comes into force for all ice hockey players within this country to wear mandatory net protection. Um, how, how will that be sort of policed and checked? Because I know since the um, Adam Johnson incident occurred, the, the statement was that wearing of neck protection is sort of highly recommended up until the 1st of January, whereby then it will be mandatory. I've noticed a very, very small uptake in people actually wearing it up and up till this date. So will it just be, will it be the officials? Will it be a two minute sort of illegal equipment penalty if it's not being worn? Yeah, there's, um, there is a piece of work that's kind of ongoing at the moment. Um, and it will effectively, we'll, we'll communicate this out to the community. Um, I wouldn't necessarily kind of want to give too much away as to what what the document's saying because we're working in quite close collaboration with Ice Hockey UK and, and with Scottish Ice Hockey on this. Yeah. Um, but it's something that will be communicated out to the membership. But um, you know, it's something that worldwide you've seen a lot of teams and leagues um implement and introduce net guards making them mandatory um for their players. A lot of players themselves as well, they've kind of taken it upon themselves um, to wear neck guards um, because obviously the the unfortunate um, incident with Adam Johnson. Um, But it's one of those that when when we've got that policy and procedure right, when it's aligned appropriately to um, the relevant governing bodies who we're working with, then we'll get that out and we'll communicate that. Mm, Okay, no worries, no worries. Well, Daniel. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, I think I've covered everything I wanted to sort of cover with you regarding the rebrand. Um, as I said, I do actually like the little the little logo for it. It's got a sort of like an Olympic feel to it. Um, and hopefully that's something we see in the very near future with our men's and women's teams as well. Perfect. No, thanks, thanks for having me on uh, in between this uh, limbo period. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to chat things through. Yeah, no worries at all. Thank you so much for reaching out. As I said, I thought it was a great idea to sort of reach out to the already established media outlets. Um, and to sort of get get your your point of view out there because people just sort of reading it on social media they might as you said it's a two way then they sort of come back and comment on on their opinion and whatnot at least this way you get it all out in your words and it can be people can take it as they wish though exactly exactly yeah. thank you so much for your time and I wish you all the best of luck with uh, with moving forward with England ice hockey lovely thank you very much. <laughs> A massive thank you to Daniel Smith for joining me on the podcast. As I said, a little bit of a long chat, um, but we kind of got everything that we needed to get out of it to to try and understand where the sport is going to be going in the future after this rebrand to England ice hockey, which, um, you know what, I'm excited. I think it's a good thing. I think it's going to be moving it in the right direction, Um, but the proof will be in the pudding. You know, short-term goals we'll be seeing at the end of this season halfway through next and then the end of next season we'll be seeing how they go and as Daniel said they'll be telling us how they're doing if they're not doing very well they will let us know if they are doing well they will also let us know so I think that's got to be good working both ways 
So thank you so much for listening to that chat. I've really enjoyed doing that one. Coming up then for the rest of 2024, the same old stuff that you're used to. There'll be the Roundup episodes coming out hopefully every Monday night, rounding up all of the weekend's action with those exclusive coaches' thoughts. So grateful for the coaches for providing those. So the first one of those will be coming out next Monday after the teams head back to the ice for the 6th and 7th of January. And that will also include that little midweek fixture that we've got going on in Slough as the Solent Devils are heading up to the hangar for a Wednesday night game on January the 3rd. So that will also be included in that. And then guests then, as we move forward into 2024, we've got a couple of Buccaneers confirmed as coming on at some point. We're going to be speaking to Courtney Grant, and we're also going to be speaking to the top point scorer for his age group. At Not at this stage. He's already scored more points at this stage than anyone his age has ever scored in the NHL 1. We'll be speaking to Brindley Caps at some point. And we will also be jumping in the pipes with the Invicta Dynamo's Nettie Owen Ryder. So looking forward to that one as well. Obviously, we're going to be looking out for the WNIHL results as well and hopefully getting a couple of more players and, and teams on from that league so that we can find out what's going on in the women's game. And anybody else that's involved in the sport, if you enjoy listening to the podcast and you want to come on, shoot me a message and we'll sort something out. So thank you once again for listening. That episode is also available on YouTube. You can subscribe there so you don't miss out on any of the videos that go out. There is hundreds upon hundreds of hours of content available on the YouTube channel for you to peruse at your own leisure, as well as all of the episodes of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and pretty much wherever you get your podcast, even though Google Podcasts has now died a slow death. But it's everywhere else you could possibly find it. And of course, on all the social medias, you can find Zero Pucks Given on Instagram, on Facebook, on X, on TikTok, on Snapchat, and of course on threads, if you're that way inclined. So thank you once again for listening. I will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.